Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. So hey guys, um, we're going to jump into our scripture today. So we're back in James. It's going to be verses thir- chapter 5, verses 13 through 20 if you want to follow along. So in verse 13 it says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have any, and if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then... When he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, okay, so we, we continued our reading in James uh, this week from the lectionary. Uh, this week we have James, Jesus' brother, and these are his final words uh, in the scripture. And I um, think final words are fascinating, so I want to read through a few uh, final words from other people before we jump in on our lesson today. Uh, there's a vineyard pastor named John Mumford. Uh, uh, Fun fact, he's Marcus Mumford's dad, if you're a a fan of Mumford and Sons, but John and Eleanor Mumford are global leaders for the vineyard, so for our whole denomination. Uh, And John Mumford uh, considers himself a collector of people's last words. Uh, which is a funny thing to collect, but uh, but so I stole a few of these from from him. These are people's last words before they died. Uh, I don't know. I think that's kind of fascinating. The last thing people say uh, before they die. Sometimes they're sweet and brilliant. Sometimes they're weird or funny or devastating. You may have your own stories like this. Um, here's one. I'm going to start out with a really haunting one. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci died saying, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. So that's a real feel good for your own work. Mona Lisa and the Renaissance man felt he offended God because his work, his work was not good enough. Um, I love this one. Steve Jobs, allegedly his last words to his sister were, these are what I want mine to be. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I think that one's awesome. Um, allegedly, uh, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, his last words, I think, are so sweet. Allegedly, he looked at his wife right before he died, and he said, you're wonderful. So romantic. Uh, less romantic, uh, a lady named Louise Marie Therese de Saint Maurice. Say it again. Um, she was a, um, a friend of Marie Antoinette and she died during the French revolution. And allegedly her last act before dying was to let, I'm sorry, mom, to let out a giant, uh, toot. And then she says, I'm quoting her here. Good. A woman who can fart is not dead. So 
there's that. Um, uh, St. Lawrence, who is the patron saint of comedy, did not stop his, this is dark, y'all, did not stop his comedy at death. He uh, was burned at the stake for his faith, and legend goes that his last words were to look at his executioner and say, I'm well done on this side, please turn me over. Isn't that awful? Um, Here's one I love. Uh, Del Close, anyone know who Del Close is? He's like a comedy and improv genius. He was the mentor to people you may have heard of, like Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Stephen Colbert, Chris Farley, Tina Fey, Bill Murray, Amy Poehler. I could legitimately keep going on and on. He was these people's mentor, and his last words were, I'm so tired of being the funniest person in the room, which is humble and hilarious, I think. Uh, I like this one. Um, Convicted murderer Thomas J. Grasso used his last words before being executed to complain about his last meal. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti, and I want the press to know this. (laughs) And then then my favorite of all last words that I've ever read. Um, Anyone know who Richard B. Mellon is? You may not. You wouldn't. Uh, He was the president of Alcoa, like the corporation. Um, And uh, when when he died, um, he he and his brother Andrew had had a game of tag going for seven decades. 70-year game of tag. Um, And allegedly his last words were to call his brother over and whisper, last tag. And then he died. And his brother for four years had to be it till he died, which I think is the best thing in the world it is savage that is a savage way to go out and perfect so uh less savage than that but arguably more perfect uh are the last words we read from James these are not James's dying words uh but they are the last time we hear from him in the scriptures um and he ends his letter with a reminder and an encouragement and it's all about prayer a reminder and an encouragement to pray uh, he ends his letter with some thoughts on how prayer connects us to God and how prayer connects us to each other. Uh, I, I titled this, I, I never know what to title sermons. That is not a gift I have. Uh, but I, I really liked today. I titled it Prayers of the Wild Heart um, because it's a phrase I stole from Brene Brown. We've, we've, we've given her some screen time uh, quite frequently lately. Uh, but in her book, Braving the Wilderness, she talks about how we can show up in the world uh, in our vulnerability by having uh, what she calls a soft front and a strong back and a wild heart. And I love this idea. Essentially, um, a front that allows us room for empathy and, and for risk and hope and experience, a soft front, and then a strong back differentiated and boundaried in appropriate ways. Uh, We've talked about both of those things recently, but then she also talks about a wild heart, and I love how she describes, I actually think I put the quote in your bulletin if you want to read along with me, but here's what she says. She says, the mark of a wild heart is living out the paradox of love in our lives. It's the ability to be tough and tender, excited and scared, brave and afraid all in the same moment. It's showing up in our vulnerability and our courage, being both fierce and kind. I uh, love that, and I think it's so similar to what James is inviting us into with prayer, the prayers of wild hearts, prayers that that speak into the paradox of love in our lives, prayers that are um, that are marked by the tough of sure faith and the tender of hope. 
uh, prayers that allow us to show up in our vulnerability and in our courage. Uh, there's a quote uh, by Frederick Beekner that used to hang on uh, Camel and Graham's door forever. And it says, um, here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And I kind of think that um, I, that uh, our scripture today picks up on the backside of that quote. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And then uh, start James chapter 5, picking up right on the end of some beautiful and terrible things that James has talked about. He starts out saying, if you're suffering, pray. And if you're cheerful, the original language there is settled or content, uh, pray by singing. If you're sick, pray and ask other people to pray. Uh, if you're actively destroying yourself and others, then tell someone and pray. Pray for healing, pray for rain, pray for others. Uh, James, I think he spends his final world words daring us to pray with wild hearts, to pray in a way that uh, vulnerably connects us to God and empowers us in our role as participants in God's work of renewal of all things by extending his healing and his mercy, and his grace, and his comfort uh, to ourselves and to other people. This is what prayers of a wild heart are. Uh, prayer is sometimes a little bit weird to talk about, um, especially in a sermon. I, I, I think it's something that either just really makes sense to us or really doesn't. And so I've heard a lot of sermons about if prayer makes sense, but I've also had lots of seasons in my life where prayer made no sense at all. Are you, are you tracking with me? Um, I think if we're honest, there are plenty of us, even sitting here in this moment, who either have a loud voice inside us or maybe like a quiet hum inside of us that's like, uh, what's the point? Like kind of what's the point of it? I, I've had long seasons of this, um, long seasons where I just maybe thought God wasn't listening, so what's the point? Or seasons where it's like God's going to do what God's going to do, and it doesn't really matter if I say the right words in the right way or like tap dance in just the right way. He's just going to do it, so what's the point of all of this? Anyone else? Am I alone in this? Okay. Um, I think that James gives us some help with this question, some grounding and some reference, uh, because I think prayers of a wild heart are about connection, uh, connection with God and connection with each other. What's the point of praying? I think before anything else, the point of praying is connection. Uh, James, he writes as someone who believes he lives within a story that culminates in Jesus, that culminates in his brother. And that uh, his story finds fulfillment in Jesus, who connects us to God and to the kingdom of God all around us. Outside of that context, prayer, uh, especially grieving prayer or healing prayer, honestly, cheerful prayer, outside of the context of the story of Jesus uh, fulfilling God's intent for the world, prayer makes almost zero sense, right? But, but within the context... Within the context of that connection is the thing that I think makes it make sense. <laughs> uh, without belief in God who is good and the God who is putting all things back to right, prayer sort of is like superstition, I guess. Or maybe self-help, maybe at worst self-deception, I don't know. But within the great story of Jesus, James uh, offers his final words on prayer connecting us to uh, that great story. He says, circle everything in our lives in prayer, the sad, the happy, the sick, the destruction, the logistical, the last three verses, the unbelief. That part of living out this great story of God uh, is to circle our lives in prayer. Uh, but I think we're nuts if we think prayer doesn't require some sort of measure of imagination. It does. It absolutely does. 
But something I think incredible happens when we truly pray, uh, when we grab a hold of it, when we stand inside the community of it. Uh, N.T. Wright compares this to when a musical instrument finally plays the song it was designed to play. Uh, We in prayer are the instrument, we're the instrument, prayer is the song. Uh, I want to quote him here. This one is in your bulletin because it's very long. And he's British, so he says words beautifully, but I don't. So I wanted you to read them. Um, Prayer, he says this, prayer isn't just me calling out in the darkness or to a distant or unknown God. It means what it means, and it does what it does, because God is, as James promised, very near to those who draw near to him. Heaven and earth meet when, in the Spirit, someone calls on the name of the Lord. And it means what it means, and it does what it does, because God's new time has broken into the continuing time of the sad old world. So that the person praying stands with the f- one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. Prayer then brings the latter to bear on the former. I love this. It's through the prayers of a wild heart that healing and hope and forgiveness have much to say about trouble and sickness and destruction. It's through the prayers of a wild heart that uh, the future breaks into the now and comes into sight to us. It's, uh, it's prayers of the wild heart that the communion of Jesus and suffering sort of clicks for us. And it's uh, in prayer that inward healing uh, feels like the goal, but outward healing feels like a treasure. And it's within prayers of a wild heart that our souls find a clear conscience and connection uh, with God. I want to spend our last few minutes talking about two of the prayers that uh, James talks about. One is confession and one is healing. Uh, First, uh, confession. Um, Chad, our associate, who I adore, his favorite preacher is named Jordan Sang, and he uh, defines faith different than I've ever heard faith defined ever. Uh, He says, faith is having a clear conscience before God. Faith is having a clear conscience before God. This is, uh, to me, a mind-blowing definition of faith. Um, Here's why I think it's true. Because I can't believe when I feel condemned. And I don't hope when I feel shame. Faith is a clear conscience before God. Uh, My own shame and condemnation, they threaten my faith constantly. So what is the way of clear conscience, the way of faith? I think James gives us two ways. Uh, One is through prayer. Uh, It's holding up my guilt, my shame, my condemnation to the Father who sets sets me free. Uh, That's prayer of confession. Um, And then it's through others. James tells us when we confess our our destruction uh, to ourselves and other people, to others, we find healing. When we allow the voice of God and the voice of others into our darkest places, we find healing. We are set free. It's, it's, a, it's a very communal aspect of prayer, welcoming others into the deepest and most intimate places of hope and longing and faith. This is connection. And James puts confession and connection together, and I really wish he wouldn't. I would much rather never tell anyone anything I do bad. I just want you to know the great things. Um, The prayers of a wild heart, they uh, connect us with God through confession. They connect us to each other uh, through confession. James, he talks about prayers of confession, uh, but also prayers of healing and deliverance. 
Uh, and these prayers, they have a specific role uh, as well. They're not, um, not just in something happening for someone, but I think also they have a role in connecting us with the person that we're praying for. Uh, because praying for healing and praying for deliverance, it um, it just brings us to the feet of Jesus uh, and to the heart of the hurting because that's where Jesus always is. When we're praying for someone suffering, when we're praying for someone sick, when we're praying for someone hurting, it brings us where Jesus uh, always is in those places. And it connects us to the, per- to, uh, the person that we're praying for. Um, I've been really struck by this idea of prayer in community with others because I feel like um, sometimes when things happen and they go crazy in the world, you, you, you don't always know what you have to offer. You kind of feel helpless. And I feel like uh, this, prayer, prayer is what we offer. Prayers are offering in times of need. This is what we have to give to impossible situations with others uh, in, in their lives around us. Um, this spring, um, someone I love very much, Will, uh, who, see, I won't point directly at him, but he's sitting over here. Um, and uh, this spring, uh, Will found out he had cancer. And um, Katie, his wife, called to tell me Will's been diagnosed with cancer. And, um, and I, I felt so helped. I, I don't know their feelings, but I know how helpless I felt in the moment. And what I realized is, like, there was literally nothing I could do. Like, I'm not an expert in blood cancer. I, I can't do anything. Um, and if I'm really honest, like, on those moments when someone calls to tell you about the, the tragedy and trauma in their life, you want to be, like, really strong. But if I'm really honest, I was not strong at all. And I just held the phone and cried. And she cried. And we just cried. And it wasn't even like a cry of despair. I really thought he would be okay. It was just, I was just sad. I was so, so sad. And I felt like I, I couldn't offer this person that I absolutely adore anything. I, I, I couldn't fix her husband. I, I couldn't fix her fear. I could bring them food and I could cry and I could be sad and I could pray. And that's literally all I could do. Uh, and honestly, those feel really tiny when something this big uh, comes on your table. But but what I think is, is prayer is what we offer the impossible. Prayers are offering to the hopeless or the terrible or the scary or confusing. That feels tiny, but, but it isn't. It's what we have to offer the world. The, the prayers of a wild heart who believes that God is in the business of healing. Or the prayers of the wild heart um, um, of the person who is trying to believe that God is in the business of goodness and healing. Uh, I experienced so much community with Will and Katie, so much intimacy with Will and Katie by praying for them. Uh, and they did too. There were a lot of us here at the church that we dropped off food and we fed them. And um, I hope that was delicious. Uh, you can leave that in the comment box, Will and Katie, if it wasn't. Um, but it was, I think, our wild-hearted prayers that held them. Prayers that brought them to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's intent, the fulfillment in his picture of hope and healing. Uh, Prayer, it can be intimate and hidden, uh, but also very communal. James says, come together with the elders uh, that we're supposed to lay hands on people and pray for them to be healed. And sometimes we pray and people get better. Like, we have some really crazy stories around here. People who find healing and clear conscience and freedom and release. There was a couple of months ago that um, uh, someone experienced healing literally walking in the door of our church. I'm not kidding. She, all she did was walk in the room, and she got healed. Uh, Chad, she went to Chad afterward, and she was like, I was going to ask you to pray for healing. So do we still pray? Because 
I mean, honestly, I figure if people can find healing in a middle school band room, they can find it anywhere. You know, it's the place of more angst and confusion than I've ever been in. I've, I was in a middle school band. That's a confusing time. Sometimes we pray and people get healed. And sometimes they don't. And I have a lot to say about this. Uh, that is, I think, the most confusing part of following Jesus. It just is. It's confusing and it's frustrating. And I don't want to silver line it because I don't have a silver lining for it. I do feel like James sets us a little bit free on our role. He, he, I don't think he's saying there's some sort of magic equation to healing that, like, we can get wrong. I, I think part of what he's saying is that uh, as much value as there is in the outcome, there's so much value in the process of praying, which sounds like trash when your prayers don't get answered. But I think it's true. I think there's value in the process of praying, the process of faith, the process of righteousness, the process of shedding our shame and our condemnation and trying to find faith, clear conscience before God. And in the process of community, of coming together to pray, some of the most intimate moments of my life were praying for something that didn't work. Uh, I, I have a friend right now who has this health thing that is, debilitating. It's been going on for a couple of years. It comes and goes, and it's awful, and I want them to be healed completely, and I am so frustrated that this isn't the story yet, and again, I feel helpless, and then my helplessness creates this distance between me and the person and me and God, but but as we wait for healing here, there is also intimacy. There's intimacy with Jesus when I ask for something that is impossible. Uh, there's also intimacy uh, with my friend. I can't do anything to help them, but I have this offering. I love them, and I, I have this offering. James says, when suffering is present, we pray. So I pray. I have prayer, and I have some hope, and I have some faith, and that's what I have. I also have Chad. Verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person goes better, so I have Chad, and I ask him to pray. He'll hate that. Um, the prayers of a wild heart, they connect us to Jesus, who Hebrews 12 tells us is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and disregarded its shame, who endured the opposition of this world so that we might not grow weary and we might not lose heart. The prayers of a wild heart, they connect us to God and they connect us to each other in our suffering and in our joy. Augustine says that when we, uh, that singing praise is praying twice. So he thinks that uh, our songs of praise, our, our songs of prayers of joys are double prayers. Like they get counted twice. I don't know that anyone's counting, but I think that's fun. Um, we are connected in joy. We're connected in suffering. Uh, we also are connected in our longing. We're connected in our longing for healing, for the fulfillment of God's good intent and order and wholeness in the world. And even in our own destruction, through prayer, we find uh, connection as we hold it before God and we hold it before others in a way that sets us free. Um, I have like 50 more things to say, but let's just, let's stop here. Let's, let's pause here. Uh, we have this rhythm where we just pause at the end of the sermon. We call it Selah. We stole it from the Psalms. Um, essentially, we don't, nobody really knows what Selah means, but we think it means pause, don't move on too fast from here. So that's what we do. So let's just pause and let's, let's pray. Might as well. We've been talking about it. Um, uh, let's pray. Let's pray prayers of the wild heart. Meaning in the next few moments, I would love for you to pray 
from wherever you are. If you are sad, pray. And if you are cheerful, if you are content, pray. You can sing. Nobody's going to care. If they do, they're not going to tell you at church. Um, If you're sick, pray for healing. And then, honestly, come up after the service and let's gather together and pray for healing. Um, If you're a basket full of questions or a basket full of doubts, just like those last few verses in James, pray, pray from there. If you are covered in destruction or condemnation or shame, pray and ask God for a clear conscience before him. This is what repentance is. Um, There's a psalm printed in your bulletin, if that's helpful. Um, A lot of times when I don't have words to pray, I just let the psalms do it for me. And sometimes that works uh, for me. So it's in there if that's helpful. Or there's really pretty mountains right here. That helps me way more to pray. So... um, we're just going to be uh, two things before we are quiet. Uh, the first is Will Murren has no cancer. He had cancer. He has no more cancer. He finished all his treatments and all of his scans are clean. And so we're just going to sing real loud on the last song and praise God that he is healed. Um, here's the second thing. I really think Chad and I both kind of thought this beforehand. I really think the Holy Spirit wants to grow faith in us. And so if you're like, I don't know which one to pray for, will you pray there? I think that the Holy Spirit wants to clear some stuff out in our brains and our hearts, kind of like cobwebs and get the cobwebs out. I really think he wants to grow faith uh, and clear our conscience before God. So I'm going to pray into that. We'll be quiet for a little while.